the book of Acts from the chapter 1 and reading the first eight verses. So it's verses 1 to 8 of Acts chapter 1. Uh, Luke is the author of this book, and so when he says in my former book, it's a reference back to what we know as Luke's gospel. Listen for the word of God. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Amen. Now, in recent times, one of the um, most frequent quotes about the mission uh, um, is that to say that it's not that the church of God has a mission in the world, but rather the God of mission has a church in the world. That is, mission doesn't start with what we want, what we think, what we do, but mission is the outpouring of God's love, His compassionate purpose to redeem and to restore His creation. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the passage in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, where in contrast to the barrenness and the hopelessness that people had got themselves into by the end of chapter 11, God called Abraham, promising to bless the nations through him. God was the source of the call. The intention was God's. The loving motivation was God's. The purposefulness was God's. And yet there was a response that Abraham had to make. He was commanded to go, to go into Canaan. And so the God of mission, through Abraham, had a church in the world. Later, centuries afterwards, after the descendants of Abraham had become the people of Israel, and after many twists and turns and ups and downs, the promised and the longed-for Messiah came. And Jesus picked up and further extended the call of Abraham. The Son came to fulfill the Father's will and purpose, to bring near the kingdom of God, to further establish God's purposes as He defeated Satan through the cross and the resurrection. And again in Matthew 9 that we looked at last week in, in verses 37 and 38, Jesus again makes clear that it's a harvest that the Lord provides, but yes, people, laborers are needed to pick the harvest. And so, once again, the God of mission 
needs laborers, a church in the world. Now, Jesus had taught his followers about the coming Holy Spirit, and he promised that through the Spirit, his presence would continue with them, just as much as when he had walked with his first disciples. The Holy Spirit, like the Father and the Son, was going to extend the reach, the love of God, further the kingdom of God. And verse 8 of Acts chapter 1 tells us that when the Spirit came to Jesus' followers, they would become His witnesses. Once more, the God of mission, this time the Holy Spirit, has a church in the world. And so our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is a God of mission, a God of reaching out. And He's just as much that. He's just as much about mission, just as fully committed to it, just as certainly is He a God of mission as He is a God of love. For love reaches out. Love seeks to bless. Love is a giving, a going quality. And so love and mission are vitally connected. And the gospel source for both is in God, not in us. Yet that loving mission of God is to be carried out through His witnesses, His people, His church. And our faithful, our faith-filled response is the means through which the loving purposes of God are to be seen and shared in the world. Now, verse 2 in Acts chapter 1, verse 2 of our reading, says that after Jesus had given instructions through the Holy Spirit… Jesus needed the, the work of the Spirit in his life. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, when Peter's explaining the gospel to Cornelius, he said that Jesus conducted his whole mission from beginning to end through the power of the Holy Spirit. And here in Acts chapter 1, Jesus promises that very same Spirit to his followers. Verse 5, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria until the ends of the earth. Now, the book of Acts is, a, the Acts is actually a shortened title for Acts of the Apostles, but the book could just as accurately be described as the Acts of the Holy Spirit, for it's the Spirit who is the main agent of, of mission through the, through the book. The Spirit, as promised here in Acts 1, comes, Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost. The disciples are filled with the Spirit, and a vibrant church is established in Jerusalem, and we read of that by the end of chapter 2. And after the church is established and, and growing in Jerusalem, it spreads, but it wasn't the apostles' intention to spread. The apostles didn't say, oh, I think we've been around here long enough. Didn't Jesus say, Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, we, we better get a move on? Nothing like that. Rather, it was the persecution that came, Acts chapter 8. And at verse 4, we're told that it says the believers were scattered due to persecution that they shared the Word of God. It was the Holy Spirit who had brought Peter and Cornelius together, Acts chapter 10, and brought Gentiles to faith. Again, in Acts chapter 11, it's persecution that takes the church on to the next step outwards. But the Spirit, we are told, verse 24, is with those who were so persecuted. 
And it was the Spirit, we're told, verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 2, that called the church to set apart some of its best people to take the mission further into all the world. It's the Spirit who gave opportunities for believers to share faith, gave faith to hearers when the message was shared. It was the Spirit who gave power to believers to show God's kingdom in action. It was the Spirit who gave the believers boldness to withstand persecution, and so on. It's the acts of the Spirit. It's the Spirit who's doing mission work. It's the Spirit who is the great missionary, working in so many different ways to bring glory to Jesus. And yet the Holy Spirit, through the book, is working through people. He's doing mission through the church. It is the acts of the Spirit and is also the acts of the apostles. God chose to involve His followers to work through people. The God of mission has a church in the world. And this church is not then at liberty to suit itself, to be just for its own interests and well-being, but rather to be witnesses to Jesus, to be agents and instruments for His kingdom. And we need God's presence with us for that. Just as Jesus need, needed the Holy Spirit, verse 2 of chapter 1, verse, and in chapter 10 again, and just as Jesus could only minister through the Spirit, just as certainly we cannot do on our own. Without the Holy Spirit, we are just a movement of men and women meeting in dead-end communities and striving without much effect to run some kind of human recruitment dive. So we must learn to look, to wait, to listen, to depend on the Holy Spirit and what the Spirit is saying to the church today. Even if we must make sacrifices just as Abraham did, just as Jesus did, just as his disciples did, and just as the persecuted churches, these are to be made with the leading and the help of the Spirit. God loves the world, and He's reaching out to the world. His love for the world is good news. God cares, and the world needs to know that God cares. But how's the world going to find that out? Well, says God, they're only going to find that out through His people, through His witnesses, through His church. The God of mission has a church in the world. Now, just as God the Father then established His commitment to bless the world through that promise to Abraham and his family, and just as God the Son, Jesus, called and commissioned His disciples to reap in the world's harvest fields, so God, the Holy Spirit, when He came upon the church, called and enabled them, verse 8 of Acts 1, to be witnesses. That's the thing we've to do. That is our part. But what does it mean to be a witness for Jesus? Well, firstly, it means that we're not preoccupied with ourselves. We're not following our own interests. It is a witness to Jesus, His worth and His significance. Too often what the world has heard from the church is, 
come and join us. We're nice people. We're having a worthwhile time. You would like it too. But that doesn't make us witnesses for Jesus. That doesn't say anything at all about Jesus. Being Jesus' witnesses mean that we, we focus on him. We speak about him. We acclaim him. We share him. We highlight who he is and what he means for the world. But also, if we're witnesses, it means that we're not at liberty to make something up. So a witness, for example, to a car crash is not to invent the details or to imagine what might have been. The witness is not to say, well, this is what I would like to have happened, or this is the effect that it had on me. No, the witness is to report, this is what I saw and this is what I heard. And so the Christian witness is not to talk about how good we are or to give opinions just about what we think or what we would like to see, but rather a Jesus witness shares about what Jesus has done and what that means. We are not free to rewrite the life of Jesus to make it seem more attractive, more amenable, more wondrous, or whatever. So a witness is to speak about Jesus, not ourselves. Secondly, the witness is not at liberty to make it up. But thirdly, the witness is someone who has first-hand experience. The witness is not someone who says, well, I didn't see the car crash, but somebody told me about it. A witness has personal involvement. And we're only witnesses to the gospel when the gospel is real, when we ourselves, through the Holy Spirit, have fellowship with the living God. This is one of the great differences of the gospel. Someone can be a Marxist without ever having met Karl Marx. Someone can be a scout without ever having met Baden-Powell, and so on. We can become part of the movements that they have established. But being church is not simply becoming part of a Jesus movement, but knowing the reality of Jesus, I am with you always promise. Someone cannot be a Christian unless they have met Jesus, for the gospel brings us into a personal relationship, into fellowship with the living God. Jesus, who ministered through the Spirit, said, I will be with you always, and fulfilled that promise as he gave his Spirit upon his people. But as well as these three things, as well as the witness not talking about ourselves, but talking about Jesus, as well as the witness not being at liberty to make something up, as well as the witness being someone who has first-hand experience, the witness is also, lastly, someone who shares. So you're not a witness if you keep what you know to yourself. Someone who saw the car crash, but never owns up to having seen it, never tells anyone about it, never mentions it, that person is not a witness. Similarly, someone who never draws attention to the worth of Jesus or the impact that Jesus is having on their life, someone who does not make known that Jesus cares, that Jesus matters, that Jesus is alive, that Jesus wants people to know him, that Jesus is establishing his kingdom, such a person is not a witness. Now, the disciples who were with Jesus in the Gospels and who gathered there in Acts chapter 1, they had seen Jesus, they'd heard him, they'd eaten with him, they'd touched him and so on. But 2,000 years later, 
we through the Holy Spirit can still be his witnesses. For Jesus can be just as present now with his people as he was when he was with these disciples in the flesh. For, for these first disciples, following Jesus meant going with him, being led by him, being taught by him, being helped by him. And so too, being a follower of Jesus in years since has meant having the Holy Spirit to shape and guide and lead and influence and enable believers in the same kind of way. It's the same gospel. God is with us. And the God who is with us is a God of mission, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that God of mission has a church in the world. God who calls us to go, God who calls us to be laborers in His harvest field, to be His witnesses, is the God who is working His purposes out astonishingly through His people. And Jesus is saying that all who follow him are to be his witnesses. All who know Christ can only do so through the Holy Spirit. And when we have the Spirit, verse, one, sorry, verse 8 of Acts 1, we are witnesses for Jesus. Now, in August, our um, sermon series was based on the material in Come and See, a short introduction to the Christian faith in five bits and five steps or five sessions. And each of the five has a simple leaflet to, to say what's in it. It's not the only outline that you can use to share the Christian faith, but it's one. And it's one that goes to the heart of the Christian faith. It's about Jesus and the impact of his life, his work, and the salvation that is offered through him. And it is that. It's salvation. Jesus didn't come to make life a little bit better, to help us add another string or two to life's bow, but to give us new life, to move us from being guilty to forgiven, from lost to found, from dead to alive, from darkness to light. And so we're going to be sending out the leaflets and do that as widely as we can for folks. Now, if you're not sure that you yourself are a Christian, and that might be the case, simply being coming to church doesn't make someone a Christian any more than sleeping overnight in a garage makes you a car. It's not simply turning up at something, but it's receiving the gospel and believing in Christ and following Him. And that's what come and see is spelling out. So maybe you're not sure. Maybe you're not quite clear about who Jesus is, about what he did and why that matters. Maybe you're not so sure that you've got the Holy Spirit in your life. In this case, going over these five sessions of come and see would be good for you to do. For there is nothing more important than this. It's the difference, as we said, between life and death, darkness and light, being lost and found, and so on. All the issues around Brexit will come and will go. Whether Scotland remains in the UK or gets independence, well, that'll get sorted out. It'll make a difference one way or the other, but not an eternal one. These things, the debates on 
politics and systems and so on, they, they will have their pluses and their minuses, the different ways and different theories. But the kingdom of God has no drawbacks. No, on the other hand. But beyond looking at come and see for yourself, to challenge you to think, is there someone that you could be going over it with? Is there someone, and we're more limited just now, but is there someone in your bubble or someone that you're speaking to or reaching out to online or over the phone or whatever? Is there someone ready to hear this good news to whom you could be a witness, to whom and with whom you could do the work of a witness or of a laborer in the plentiful harvest that Jesus saw? Now, I'm going to go back and revisit the sermon series that we did in August, and I'm going to shorten the, um, the talks and make them available online and make them more closely follow what we have in these leaflets, so that via the website there is backup to the Come and See leaflets. Now again, folk are at liberty to use them or not use them, but we're not at liberty to say, I'm a Christian and not be a witness. We're not at liberty to say, my eternal destiny is, is secure, it's going to be with God and His kingdom, but just now I don't need to be a witness. God didn't leave that option open to us. And so we must be a wit witnesses who point away from ourselves towards Jesus, who share the good news about Jesus, who speak from experience of knowing Jesus, and witnesses who speak up and speak out in our confused and broken world. The God of mission has a church in the world. The God of mission has His witnesses in the world. The choice we have if we're God's people is not whether we will be witnesses or not, but whether we will be faithful or unfaithful witnesses, whether we will be good witnesses or poor witnesses. And our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, deserves the best. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you that time and again you reached out in Jesus. Time and again you showed that you were for others, cared about others. And we thank you for keeping that promise of the Spirit coming in Jesus' place. That promise of the Spirit being with us and among us. And the Spirit enabling us just as the Spirit enabled Jesus, just as the Spirit enabled these first disciples. Oh, Lord, help us to look, help us to wait, help us to learn, help us to listen. That we might know in what ways in particular you're calling us to be your witnesses. In Jesus' name, amen.